Hello, everybody, and welcome to Peace, Love, and Robots. This is a podcast about anything and everything and all that is in between. I am your host, Jeremy, and this is episode number 15 for December 16th, 2020. So we're just a little over a week away from Christmas, and I hope that you're not one of those stereotypical dunderheads that waits until the last minute to buy gifts for your loved ones. Let me offer you a piece of free advice, okay? Nobody wants a snow brush or a gift card that you picked up at the 7-Eleven. If you can't shop and you want to give somebody something, just remember cash is always a good option. And at least it doesn't sort of show that you procrastinated when it came to shopping. So if you haven't shopped yet, you still have a little bit of time. But if you haven't shopped by Christmas Eve, just go to the ATM and get cold hard cash. You won't be judged for it. And a nice crisp bill from the ATM looks looks good enough. Okay, looks good enough. Throw it in a card. Okay, or an envelope. Show you tried a little bit. Okay, don't don't show that you're a procrastinator. Because we're all procrastinators in some way. We all have busy lives. Anyway, uh, as always, this podcast is brought to you by the ads you hear at the beginning and end of the show. So if you listen all of the way through, I am forever in your debt. Normally, I wait for this to uh, wait for this to be at the end of the show. Okay, but in case you haven't made it to the end of an episode and you want and you don't know this, I really I, I really need reviews. I want you to leave me a review. That's all I want for Christmas. And, and I saved you just, you know, as a way of thanking me, you can do this. Okay. I saved you uh, from hearing me sing the next few lines I'm going to say here because I, I recorded something and then I just completely deleted it because it was horrifying. You ever take a picture of yourself, like a selfie that makes you look, I don't know, like uh, Quasimodo or something. <laughs> you're hideous and you're like immediately delete it because you're like, oh my gosh, that's just... No one should ever be subjected to that. That's what I felt like when I looked at when I listened to the recording that I did of this next bit here. Okay, I was horrified. I I couldn't delete it fast enough. So consider yourself uh, grateful or be grateful and lucky that you didn't have to hear it, but you can hear it as spoken word, uh, spoken word poetry. All right, here we go. I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. I want my audience to grow more than you could ever know. You know what to do. Ooh, all I want for Christmas is reviews, baby. So if you have time, Go over to whichever podcast uh, aggregator you're using, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcast or Google Podcast, and take just two seconds to leave me a review. Five stars is always nice to see. Please do that for me if you can. It really helps me out. Now, if anything, it gives me a dopamine boost. This time of the year, you know, everybody wants to feel good. Be generous with your reviews and give me one and give give reviews to other podcasts you listen to because we love to see that people are listening and that they like what we hear, what they hear. All right, enough of that. As you may know, this show was started as a way to keep me accountable as a writer. So I promise to update 
you and all my other listeners with a word count every week just to keep me going with whatever project I'm working on. So how did I do this week? Drum roll, please. 1,371 words. Not great, but not too bad. I'm not going to just give you a laundry list of excuses, you know, but holiday shopping, running around doing other errands, work, you know, it's been hard to get back in the groove of writing. I was burned out after Podvember, but I'll get back on the wagon. December's tough because of the holidays. You got that four weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas where there's so much going on, but I'm sure I'll get back on the wagon uh, and get and get grooving. If not in the next couple of weeks, next week, maybe in the next couple of weeks after New Year's. But I have been doing something else. I've been reading a lot more. I I have a uh, Kindle pa- Paperwhite that I got for my birthday. I absolutely love it. I used to be uh, kind of a uh, a Luddite when it came to new technology for stuff that could be done by hand. You know, like reading a paperback book or um, reading a big hardcover. But I got to tell you, <laughs> I am all in on ebooks. I am all in. I love my paperweight is is small enough to fit in my coat pocket but it still feels like I'm I've got like a a book in my hand when I'm reading and it is a book and I, you can have uh, hundreds of books on this thing and I, I've I love it I, I I use my library app and I uh I got a book out that I hadn't read probably in 31 years because I was in the sixth grade when I had to read this book and I was I've been thinking about it for a while, I just remember as a kid really liking the book. And I don't remember why I liked it, but I liked it a lot. And so I kept, I had the, uh, um, had the title in my head for a long time and I've looked it up. It's been on Amazon and, uh, just couldn't bring myself to buy it. Cause you know, a paperback copy is still about five or six bucks. And I'm like, I remember liking it as a kid, but I didn't like it enough to revisit it like I did with, say, S.E. Hinton's Outsiders. That was a book I read three or four times from the age of 12 to 18. So that was a book that was uh, formative to my uh, in my life. And I, I have a copy of that, you know, physical copy of that. I have an ebook copy of it. I have the movie on Blu-ray, you know, all that stuff. But uh, this book that I read is called uh, When the Legends Die by Hal Borland. And I read it in the sixth grade, and I don't know why I got assigned this book to read, but I, I remember really liking it, and I read it. I, I couldn't put it down. I read it in like three days, and it was a phenomenal book. It's a great book about identity, about trauma, about uh, Native American culture, and how you know uh, in the United States that sort of got squashed and things like that, but it's about uh, a young man who sort of wrestles with who he is for a lot of years. And it's it's a phenomenal book, and I'm surprised that I read it in sixth grade, and it was assigned by my my teacher, Mr. Spinelli. Uh, he, uh, he assigned that book. I was in the advanced reading class, and it's a pretty heavy book for 12 years old uh, thematically, but I, I liked it even at 43. Uh, it's a very, very good book. I highly recommend it if you uh, want to check something out that's uh, not your typical young adult fare that you find in uh, in libraries now. Not that not that YA f- fiction or anything is is bad. 
but this is from 1962. It was originally written as an adult novel and just got kind of shoehorned in as a book that kids read in school. So it's it's a good book. It's called When the Legends Die by Hal Borland. But, you know, good read writers are good readers. And I think if I'm reading and not writing, if there's a balance there, if I'm doing a lot of reading and not writing at all, there's a problem. But if I'm doing a little bit of both, that's good because I'm admiring somebody else's craft. And when doing that, you're actually enhancing and making your craft better. So uh, good writers read. And so I'm reading a lot. And that's okay. Even if it's just a book like that or even a Star Wars book like I'm reading right now. I'm not reading heavy literature. I just I don't have the headspace for uh, for something like Dostoevsky or Tolstoy at this point in time. Maybe at some point in the future. But uh, enough about that. The last few weeks, I have promised that I'd talk about A Christmas Carol. To me, A Christmas Carol is the best Christmas story outside of the actual Christmas story. I have enjoyed it for decades. It's it's an incredible story. It's a very simple story, but it's also very moving. And I think everybody has seen at least one version of A Christmas Carol because there's so many different retellings of them. A few years ago, actually, it's been up in my Facebook memories because it's around December. My son actually played Jacob Marley in a uh, production of The Gospel According to Scrooge. And he did an incredible job. He will always be my favorite version of Jacob Marley uh, outside of you know, there's there's been many people who have played Jacob Marley, but my son's portrayal was the best in my mind, and I'm a little biased, and that's okay. Shut up. Uh, but uh, A Christmas Carol is um, – there's so many different versions of it, and I watched a bunch of them, and I forgot a little bit about some of the ones I watched, so my notes aren't very thorough. <laughs> I wasn't very good about keeping notes. But I'm just going to go through the ones I watched – some thoughts on each one, and then I will give you my thoughts on what I think the best versions of each character, a major character, and each, uh, and what my favorite movie overall, a favorite version overall is. So let's get on to it. The first one I watched, I tried to watch them chronologically. It didn't really work out that well, but I uh, did start off with the earliest one available to me from 1938, A Christmas Carol. And Scrooge was played by Reginald Owen, and he actually inherited the role of Scrooge from Lionel Barrymore. If you don't know who Lionel Barrymore is, he is a very, very famous actor from that era in the 30s and 40s. He was a radio actor, then he became a uh, film actor. His most famous role, besides being Scrooge on the radio, because that's where he was, he played Scrooge, was on the radio, and Reginald Owen became Scrooge on the radio as well, was Lionel Barrymore is uh, Mr. Potter in uh, in It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah, that Mr. Potter. Mr. Potter, you're, you're just a scurvy, scurvy devil, Mr. Potter. Um, <laughs> he... Uh, he was the original Scrooge on the radio, and they play that show still, that version of A Christmas Carol, on the radio every year. The local AM uh, radio station plays that version of A Christmas Carol, and it's it's great. So Lionel Barrymore passed that role on to 
Reginald Owen, who in turn became Scrooge on film, along with Gene and Kathleen Lockhart, who played the Cratchits, which is kind of cool. A husband and wife acting duo playing husband and wife on on a movie. And they actually have a daughter who is famous, June Lockhart. And so very, very interesting, you know, seeing the uh, how things are connected in uh, in old Hollywood to new Hollywood, even because Lionel Barrymore, by the way, is the uh, grandfather or great grandfather of Drew Barrymore. See, there you go. Anyway, I liked this movie a lot. It was a very 1930s movie. It was shot in black and white, very grainy. I liked Reginald Owen. I think he was a very good Scrooge. He uh, he had some weird makeup going on him. He wasn't as old as Scrooge was, and so that kind of threw me away, threw me off a bit. But overall, if you have Amazon Prime, give it a give it a watch. It's very short. I think it's only an hour and ten minutes or something like that. And if you're familiar with the story, you'll see you know everything that you're used to. Maybe a few additions, things that you don't remember being in the story. It's pretty good. The next one I watched was the uh, was essentially the improvement on the 1938 version. And it was from 1951 called Scrooge in England. That was the name of the movie. And it became a Christmas Carol here in the States, you know, naturally. Right. In this, this movie felt like a fifties uh, era, spooky, scary kind of ghost story. You know, not, not necessarily a monster movie like the universal monster films, but it was a ghost story. And that was really what Dickens intended was for it to be kind of a Christmas ghost story. And Scrooge was played by Alistair Sim. And he plays Scrooge like he's really mean. Like he does not have a soft edge to him at all. And it's great. It's it's great. He doesn't chew up the scenery like some some guys when they're playing Scrooge, they really, really bite into lines like um, if I had my will, I'd take every idiot with Merry Christmas on his lips and boil him in his own pudding and bury him with a steak of holly in his heart. You know, that line, you know, people just really chew on that line. It's 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 a great line. It's one of my favorites. But um, Alistair Sim doesn't deliver that line with any kind of like uh, extra vitriol. It just sounds angry and mean. And it's perfect. So that's from 1951. And then I jumped ahead about uh, almost 40 years to Scrooged from 1988. And really, the more I, the more times I watch it, the more I realize it's not really an adaptation of A Christmas Carol. It's an homage to it. And there, there's a lot of stuff about it I like. You know, Bill Murray is just incredible as Frank Cross, who's the Scrooge character in the movie. You could see in his performance the future Bill Murray, the Bill Murray that uh, does a lot of far more serious stuff, right? He uh, he's in this movie. He, he he's this is like the transitional movie along with Groundhog Day, where you would see him go from being this uh, you know comedic actor, really really good comedic actor, to having a very very real performance, especially in his final speech. In a Christmas Carol, that or in Scrooge, it's that's the best speech of all of them, and it it still makes me choked up every time I watch it. I've seen it multiple times. It's it's phenomenal, 
but you know, there's some things, you know, that, that I didn't like about the movie. Like uh, there was no Fezziwig character. Like he's in a movie or he's in this business of television. Frank crosses and there's nobody that sort of like Fezziwig in, in a Christmas Carol in general kind of represents how to properly do business without losing your soul. And maybe, maybe because TV is a soulless business that there couldn't be a character like Fezziwig. And that's sort of a bummer about Scrooge that there's nobody that's really trying to do the right thing. There are, there is like shimmers of that, like, or glimmers of that where you have uh Bobcat Goldthwait's character whose name escapes me. Sorry, I didn't have IMDb pulled up. But um, Bobcat Goldthwait plays half of the Cratchit character because Cratchit is sort of split into two between uh, Alfred Woodard's character who is uh, sort of, who's basically Bill Murray's character's assistant. And then Bobcat Goldthwait's sort of the conscience <laughs> in, the, in the boardroom who gets fired and all this other stuff. But the worst part about Bobcat Goldthwait is... He's actually, you know, and he's gone on record. He actually does not like doing the voice, you know, that screaming voice that he did as a stand-up comic for a long time. He he's actually he doesn't talk like that. He hates doing the voice and don't don't ask him to do the voice. But he he he's still that stage that stage character. He's still Bobcat Goldthwait for half of the movie. And I would rather have seen Bob Goldthwait sort of go from, you know, that very depressed to really, really viscerally angry. I think that would have been better, but you know, it's 30 years ago. No, it's going to be able to change it. It's still pretty good. Uh, the other thing I don't really, and the other thing about the Bobcat Goldthwait thing, it might not have been his fault. He might have wanted to have played it straight, but Richard Donner, the director probably said, Hey, where's the screaming guy? Why don't you, you know, do the screaming guy. <laughs> and you know, he's getting paid. He just does the, the job, but that's just a mild criticism. Anyway, um, the other thing about it is there's there's this edge of vulgarity to it that makes it really hard to watch with my kids. And my wife has a a lot has, has a standard for certain things that she wants to see on TV and movies, and and this won't pass that standard. So it's it's tough to find a time to watch that. I'd like to watch it with my family, but I can't because there's some of those things like you know the solid gold dancer costume debate <laughs> that's very early on. And, you know, things like that, that just make it very difficult to watch with your family. So I, I like it though. I, I, I th still, I still really enjoy Scrooged a lot. There's a, uh, there's, you know, very funny in the beginning, a parody movie that I wish was real called, uh, the night the reindeer died. Uh, another, another part that's really great is, uh, is the, the interplay, the dynamic between Carol Kane, who plays the ghost of Christmas present and Bill Murray is just awesome it it just laugh out loud funny physical comedy at its best just some of the best stuff uh is between them in that movie so that's how i feel about scrooge and also it has a great song soundtrack you know put a little love in your heart right let's fast forward four years to what is arguably Many, many, many people think this is the best adaptation of A Christmas Carol. And it stars Michael Caine as Scrooge and our favorite, favorite felt characters, the Muppets, the Muppet Christmas Carol. This is the, the first musical that I watched. 
there was another musical in like 1970 of Scrooge that I did not watch. So I can't speak to that. I don't know if it's good or not. I'm sure it probably is okay. But The Muppet Christmas Carol is a musical. And what's there's a lot of great stuff about this. I actually don't have any negatives about The Muppet Christmas Carol at all. Um, for instance, Michael Caine never winks at the camera. Another thing I really liked about, you know, Will Ferrell as Elf, uh, this is, you know, as Buddy the Elf, Michael Caine playing Scrooge, he plays it straight. And he actually said he treated it like he was um, performing with a serious theater troupe. He never treated the Muppets like they were just puppets. They were actual character actors that he was working with. And that shows, that actually improves the movie. It makes the movie even better. Because he's never, ever looking down on his coworkers or his co-stars because they are actors too. And and that's awesome. And the songs, the songs are just, they're just delightful. <laughs> just fun songs that just, you can sing along to them. You can just kind of bob your head. They're just a lot of fun. And uh, it's Easily for me, um, if you're going to introduce your kids to the Christmas Carol story, this is the gateway drug. <laughs> really, it's perfect for. I would say you know, kids' attention spans are different now than they were even you know, ten years ago. But you know, when I was a kid, watching a two-hour movie doesn't seem like it was that hard. But now you know, this movie seems to fly by. It's about ninety minutes long. But, you know, when you get to like seven or eight years old, kids are going to love this. It's perfect. Like I can sit down with my daughters and they just absolutely love it. Uh, it's not real hard for them to sit down and watch it. But when they were three and four, eh, not really easy to watch. But it's the perfect long form gateway drug to a Christmas carol with your family. Gonzo and Rizzo, of course, they're like this Greek chorus where Gonzo's playing Charles Dickens. And there's a lot of funny little interplay between them that's not even in the book, but it just enhances the story. So that's fun. And uh and and making Jacob Marley two characters uh in the Marley Brothers with Statler and Waldorf is just great. And then, you know, uh Disney back in 2009 decided to do an adaptation of a Christmas carol with Bob Zemeckis. And uh, you know, Robert Zemeckis he, uh, the dude did Back to the Future. So I had uh, a lot of respect for him. I think he's a great uh, director, but that dude went all in on this motion capture animation stuff. You know, he started with the Polar Express, which, you know, people love that movie. I hate it. I absolutely hate it because it looks dated at, at this point. It looked dated when it came out and now it looks even more dated. I I just don't like it. It's it's I don't like that. I will never watch Beowulf. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then A Christmas Carol with Disney, you have Jim Carrey playing Scrooge and many, many other characters. And uh, Cratchit's played by Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman is actually the highlight of that movie. Uh, he's just great. The Cratchit in that one is probably the most, it pulls the most emotion out of me for some reason. And it, when it's an emotionless motion capture animation, uh, Gary Oldman shines through, you know, shines through that, which is just a testament to him as an actor. But I, I didn't, I, the other thing I didn't like, and I'm, I'm going to get kind of on a soapbox here. The thing about A Christmas Carol is Dickens wrote it sort of as a condemnation of Thomas Malthus, who, um, 
who really did not believe in um in population growth. He was kind of a zero sum game when it came to people. In fact, some of the lines that that uh Scrooge says are straight out of the Malthus playbook, like um, we'll let them die then and decrease the surplus population, that sort of stuff. And a lot of what Dickens was writing was sort of a condemnation on that from the Christian perspective. I'm not saying that Dickens was a Christian or that the Christmas Carol is a Christian story, but uh, there was that thing about a Christmas Carol is about redemption and about Christian charity and Christian love and how you can, it's never too late to start engaging in those things. And, um, the thing about the 2009 version of A Christmas Carol is that, yeah, a lot of the dialogue is faithful to the book, and it it's great. I, I, I can't fault the dialogue most of the time, but there was one thing that stood out to me because it did not seem like it fit in the tenor of the book. So I had to go back and watch it, and then I had to go back in the book and actually look, make sure that, I'm, that I was not um, – uh, out of line in, in thinking this criticism, but there's a, a scene where uh, Scrooge is with the ghost of Christmas present and the ghost of Christmas present brings him to look over a bakery. And he says um, in the book and in the movie, he actually says, let's find it. I bookmarked it and everything. I used a post-it note. So he, Scrooge says, um, you seek to close these places on the seventh day, and it comes to the same thing. And then the uh, the uh, the the spirit says, "There are some upon this earth of yours who lay claim to know us, and who do their deeds of passion, pride, ill will, hatred, envy, bigotry, and selfishness in our name." And, and, you know, that's right out of the book. That's right out of Dickens. But they add this line, which is directly a shot at the church. And it takes the, the, the lens of the, of the future, of the current, of the present, and applies it to the book writing of the past. And I hate when they do that. And he says, these so-called men of the cloth... That is absolutely not in the book. It's not anywhere in the text of uh, Christmas Carol. And it it completely just threw me off because that's clearly, I don't know if it's an ad lib by Jim Carrey or uh, if it was thrown in there as a new line or something because, you know, yeah, the, every organization, every faith has flaws in the past, right? But for a Christmas Carol, that was never Dickens' goal to bash the church, and 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 I and I hate that, um, which takes me out of the movie. I don't like the movie because of not just because of that. There's many other things. This is just one thing, but um, the movie itself just the animation looks dated. It's it's it, there's a lot of stunt shots in the movie because it was shot to be in 3D and all that other stuff. And then the other thing is Jim Carrey. He's a great he's a great actor. Okay, he's a great actor. I think uh, Truman Show, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. He's a great actor. There's no doubt. The guy can act. But when they put the motion capture on him and he's doing multiple different roles, all all I see is Jim Carrey. 
I don't see the character anymore. And I see him just, you know, chewing up the scenery as much as he can because it's Jim Carrey. And I, I hated that. I just absolutely hate it. I don't, I don't like, and I don't recommend it because it's just not a good version. If there's, if, if it's the only version available to you, sure. Watch it. Everything's there, but there's plenty of other ones available, especially on Disney plus you've got the Muppet Christmas Carol. And you've got the next one I'm going to talk about, which is Mickey's Christmas Carol from 1983. Now, um, I don't know if this is my first exposure to the Christmas, a Christmas Carol. I don't know because this one and the, the next one I'm going to talk about came out in 1984. And I remember distinctly watching them both as a kid, but Mickey's Christmas Carol is brief and it's perfect for younger kids between the ages of like three and eight years old. It's great. I love it. And I'm 43. It's just it's 26 minutes and it's just delightful. The animation of old Walt Disney movies is never, never going to get old for me. I love it so much. It's just a joy. And the only, the only criticism, if I can find a criticism about it, is that they make Goofy play Jacob Marley. And Goofy is just too fun to be Marley. <laughs> he doesn't look like a guy who would be like Scrooge. And... uh but that's just a small criticism because it's just more fun to see Goofy turn into the doorknob and his nose gets squeezed, all that fun stuff. So that's just a small criticism. It's barely a criticism, but it's just a delight. And it's on Disney. It's Disney Plus. It's only 26 minutes. If you have little kids, even if you don't have kids, it's a fun watch. It's a great adaptation of it. Highly recommend it. And then comes the other one from 1984. And it was a TV event, actually. I, I did some research. I looked into this a little bit because I don't know if it was my first exposure to it. It might not have been. It might have been a, the Mickey's Christmas Carol. I don't know. But this movie <laughs> almost emotionally scarred me. And it was a TV movie. It was on CBS. It was um, A Christmas Carol starring George C. Scott. I had never seen George C. Scott in anything else prior to this because I was seven. I didn't even know who Patton was, let alone the movie Patton. <laughs> but it was it, it was something that haunted me because the scene in the end of uh, the section with the Ghost of Christmas Present just uh, haunted me for a long time. The scene where he opens his robe and you see ignorance and want. Those two kids, that image of those two kids, like in what looked like burlap sacks shivering and covered in dirt and whatever grime just burned in my head <laughs> at seven years old when I first saw it. And it just, yeah, it haunted me. And the only thing I like about it is George C. Scott's performance, because if you watch him, just watch him act. He goes from being, he he's, he's Scrooge. He's this, bitter angry man and as time goes on you see these subtle changes in his behavior as he sees himself young and then as he gets older through the passage of time and you could see those things happen in his performance he becomes younger he he becomes delighted when he sees the dances at Fezziwig's party and 
uh, when he sees his sister. And you could see it in the way George C. Scott is acting. And it's incredible. It's such a good version of the movie. It's for me, if there's a standard for modern adaptations, it's it's this one. And it's it's always going to hold a special place in my heart. It was the first version I've ever bought on DVD. In fact, it's the only version I own on DVD. So that's high praise, right? So, and I think this one, it might be on AMC or something like that. I don't really know where it's streaming because I don't really have to bother with it because I have the DVD. So uh, check it out if you can. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's incredible. It's pretty good. And uh, very spooky. Don't watch it with kids, especially if they're seven years old. Very impressionable like me, uh, like I was. <laughs> anyway, um, so now I've gone over the ones that I've watched. So why don't I just talk about who I think the best was or which one I think the best was. And I'll, and I'll go over best characters based on um, their ranking. So uh, I'll do Scrooge last, okay? So for me... My favorite Marley had to be Statler and Waldorf. <laughs> Just they have a song and dance routine. They're they're hilarious, and uh, they still use the same lines that you hear in the in the other movies. Or like uh, business, mankind was my business, charity my business, things like that. Uh, but they, they did it in a way. It's Statler and Waldorf, you know, with the. the <laughs> You know, that stuff. Um, I, I loved it. It's great. Um, as for the Ghost of Christmas Future, it's kind of a wash. Every every one of them looks the same, except for in Mickey's Christmas Carol. And I can't remember the name of the character that ends up being Ghost of Christmas Future. He's the, you know, the villain in every goofy uh, movie. Uh, when it comes to the Ghost of Christmas Present, there is no way I could not vote for carol kane <laughs> even though she's not in a uh, direct adaptation of the movie of the story she's just awesome she never ceases to make me laugh when she hits him in the face with a toaster and then does the raspberries on his belly i it just that's so funny and she's just the best she's so f uh hilarious so she's my favorite all right i, I could be wrong um, but she's my favorite. As for the ghost of uh, the best ghost of the past, Christmas past, this was a hard one because uh, I, I liked the guy in Scrooge. He was okay, but he was the direct opposite of of every other description of the ghost of Christmas present, which is like uh, a light with. Uh, <laughs> with a very soft voice and things like that. And they all sort of look the same and, and the performances are all kind of like a wash. But then you get to a Mickey's Christmas Carol and the ghost of Christmas past is played by Jiminy Cricket. And that was just perfect casting, right? Uh, so he's, he's great. He's the conscience. He shows the past. He's basically tells, <laughs> tells Scrooge, you know, this is where you made a mistake. And I'm the conscience and I'm showing you what you did wrong and just really, really good. And it pains me to say this. Okay. It pains me to say this because I spent a long time in this podcast bashing this movie, but the best Cratchit, the one that makes me uh, really feel Bob Cratchit's pain 
is Gary Oldman. And uh, he just, I rewatched the scene where he's, uh, he comes into the house and Tim goes to check on the pudding with his siblings. And he's talking quietly to his wife and he's explaining to her, you know, uh, how Tim said, you know, his presence in the church was a reminder that uh, the one who came on Christmas uh, made the, the, the blind man see and the, the lame man walk. And the way that Gary Oldman delivers that little speech is just so powerful. And so I can't, he is the only good part of that movie. Really? <laughs> I, I am, am. And, and I'm not saying go out and watch the movie just for Gary Oldman, but if you're going to watch the movie, watch for Gary Oldman. He's just incredible. And everything he does, I don't think, I've, I don't think he's been in a bad movie. Okay. If you can name a bad Gary Oldman movie, uh, I'll give you a round of applause, but uh, best Scrooge. This one was tough for me because I, I liked almost everybody that played Scrooge outside of, uh, <laughs> outside of Jim Carrey. And I have a special fondness for George C. Scott. And he's always going to be the one I remember first as Scrooge. But since I hadn't seen this one until now, I have to go with Alistair Sim. And it's because of the way he plays uh, Scrooge. He plays him as truly mean. He doesn't seem to have any ounce of redemption possible. And as he changes, it's just, it's just great. He's, he's the best. And that brings me to um, the best overall version of A Christmas Carol. If there's one that should be the standard bearer, it's got to be 1951's version. Because it plays like the book reads. And it feels like a ghost story. It doesn't feel like a schmaltzy Christmas movie. It's a little spooky. And you can't go wrong with a good old black and white movie. And so my favorite overall is that one. So that's my opinion. I would love to hear yours. I, uh, I, I honestly, do you agree with how I feel? Do you disagree? I'd love to hear from people who disagree. Contrarian opinions are welcome here. Okay. Uh, you you'll be wrong, but you know, you're welcome here. Please feel free to let me know. You can send me an email at peace, love and robots pod at gmail.com. Or you can leave me a voicemail at 585 371 8986. When I hear from you, I just might share it on the next episode. So uh, be wary of that. You know, keep, keep it clean. No cursing, please. I don't want to have to bleep you out, things like that. But <sighs> I think that's enough for today. This has been a long one. This is the longest episode ever. I've talked for almost 40 minutes. It's time to close up shop. If you like what you heard here or even hated it, and you think your friends might like it or they might hate it and you hate them, uh, feel free to rate, review, subscribe, share the show. It's not that hard to find. I'm on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and just recently I was added to Audible. How cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> Peace, love, and robots. Tastes great, and it's less filling. I know I said it last week. I just didn't think to look up another... another uh, Another slogan. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>